to the Indian Creek Baptist Church podcast. Thank you for joining us today. If you have any questions, please feel free to contact us. Our website is www.indiancreekbaptistchurch.org or our email address is info at indiancreekbaptistchurch.org. It is our sincere hope that through this podcast, God will speak to your heart and touch your life so that you may grow closer to him. John chapter 12, we've been uh, slowly getting into the crucifixion week. Uh, we looked a couple weeks ago at the triumphal entry, Christ coming into Jerusalem on the ass's colt. And then he, as he enters into Jerusalem, he begins to teach. We looked at a little bit of that yesterday or last week. Today we're going to pick up in John chapter 12 and verse number 37 and continue to see Christ teach. He left off. Last week, we left off with Christ pleading uh, to those that were there to walk in the light. Is in verse number 36, it says, While ye have the light, believe in the light, that ye may be the children of light. These things spake Jesus and departed and did hide himself from them. So he left them with that idea of walking in the light, and he departed and hid himself I can only imagine that he went to go spend some time with his Heavenly Father in prayer, as he often did. We're going to pick up in verse number 37. The Bible says, But though he had done so many miracles before them, yet they believed not on him, that the saying of Isaiah the prophet might be fulfilled, which he spake, Lord, who hath believed our report, and to whom hath the arm of the Lord been revealed? Therefore they could not believe, because that Isaiah said again, he hath blinded their eyes and hardened their heart, that they should not see with their eyes, nor understand with their heart, and be converted, and I should heal them. These things said Isaiah when he saw his glory and spake of him. Nevertheless, among the chief rulers also many believed on him, but because of the Pharisees they did not confess him, lest they should be put out of the synagogue, for they loved the praise of men more than the praise of God. Jesus cried and said, He that believeth on me, believeth not on me, but on him that sent me. And he that seeth me, seeth him that sent me. I am come a light into the world, that whosoever believeth on me should not abide in darkness. And if any man hear my words and believe not, I judge him not. For I came not to judge the world, but to save the world. He that rejecteth me and receiveth not my words hath one that judgeth judgeth him the word that I have spoken. The same shall judge him in the last day. For I have not spoken of myself, but the Father which sent me, he gave me a commandment, what I should say and what I should speak. And, and I know that his commandment is life everlasting. Whatsoever I speak, therefore, even as the Father said unto me, so I speak. Let's pray. Father God, again, we come to you tonight and just humbly ask that you would speak to us. Lord, that through your Holy Spirit that indwells each and every believer, that you would reveal this truth to us. Help us to understand the message that you've left for us. Help us to see that light that Christ is. And God, help us to walk in that light. Help us to be the light of the world, the light to the world, a reflection of you. God, please guide us and direct us. We love you and we thank you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Again, amen. Again, as we're looking at this, we understand this is the week leading up to the crucifixion. And we cannot forget 
that Christ knows all that is about to happen. He knows the pain and the suffering that he's going to that he's going to have. He knows the heartache. He knows about the cross. And he knows about the glorious hope of his resurrection. And he's trying his best to teach his disciples, but they're not understanding. At the end of verse number 36, he left and he hid himself. And we pick up in verse 37 with a very, very sad statement. But though he had done so many miracles before them, yet they believed not on him. John chapter 20 and verse number 29. Excuse me. John chapter 20 and verse number 29. Jesus saith unto him, Thomas, because thou hast seen me, thou hast believed. Blessed are they that have not seen and yet have believed. This is doubting Thomas that didn't believe that Christ had returned and didn't believe that it was him until he could see the prints of the nails in his hand and thrust his hand into Christ's side. Also, don't ever forget that Christ, when he returned, after his resurrection, still had all the scars. His face was still so marred that those that knew him best, that walked with him for these three and a half years, didn't recognize him. He still had the prints of the nails and the spot where the spear pierced his side. He had all of those things for us to understand his authority and his testimony. Many times in our lives, we try and hide those things of the past. We try and hide those things that have scarred us, that have hurt us. But they're all there for a reason. They're not to be hid they're to be shared. We've gone through them because that's what God is using in us to prove who He is to the rest of the world. How about Romans 1 and verse number 20? Romans 1 and verse number 20 says, For the invisible things of Him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. These people in verse number 37 had seen so many miracles. They had seen Christ do so many things. And yet they refused to believe on him. For us in our lives, we can see God do so many things. I can look back from the time before I was born and I can see God moving in my life. I can see God moving, not always great, mighty, beautiful things, but God allowing things to take place, to mold me and shape me, to bring me along, to make me the man that stands before you today. All of it was done for a purpose. After all the blessings and miracles that Christ has done. How can we not believe? 
John 20 and verse 29 says that those that believe, that have not seen and believe, are blessed. Romans 1.20 says that there's no excuse. I lived much of my life believing that God did not exist because I could not physically see His presence. I believe that George Washington exists because you can go and find the place where he's buried and dig up his bones. You can't do that with Christ. But I refuse to see the very obvious things all around me that prove to me that God existed. I mean, who else can make a plant take sunlight and turn it into food? Who else can make the hairs on our head that change color naturally? I mean, we can make them change color. Who else knows the number of the hairs on our head or the lack thereof? We were having a conversation at lunch about bald people with Brother Martin. I may not have always understood the process, but looking back, I can absolutely understand the outcome that God was planning as He moved in my life. As He removed things, as He brought things in. You know, this tree, I told you before, this is, tree is over 50 years old. When my grandmother bought it, it was about a foot tall and she's cared for it for all those years. She's gone through and pollinated it, taking a toothpick or a, a Q-tip from the flower to flower to make sure that it would pollinate and grow instead of having it near another fruit tree. She's taken the time to prune it, to cut away the parts that are dead, the parts that are overgrown, so that the rest of the tree can thrive. God's done the exact same thing in my life. He's still doing the exact same things in my life. And yet I still fail almost daily in the faith department. Not only have so many refused to believe on Christ at this point, but many of those that did are so afraid of those, their peers, that they don't even want to admit it. Verse number 42 says, Nevertheless, among the chief rulers also, many believed on him, but because of the Pharisees, they did not confess him, lest they should be put out of the synagogue. For they loved the praise of men more than the praise of God. These are men like Nicodemus. Men like Joseph of Arimathea. Joseph went and he goes and he begs the body, begs Pilate to be able to take Christ's body off the cross so that it can be buried. But he didn't want to admit that he was a follower of Christ because he was afraid the Pharisees would put him out, would remove him from his place. His pride got in the way. 
Now, don't get me wrong. I like being liked. I like it when people are glad to see me. But I don't ever want that to get in the way of my heavenly father saying, well done, thou good and faithful servant. When I meet him face to face. I believe that both Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea knew and understand who Christ was. They completely understood that he was the son of God. They were just too afraid of the company they kept. Tells me they were in the wrong company. But then again, I think of men like Peter. Peter, the outspoken of the apostles. Peter, who in just a few chapters, a few verses, is going to pledge his undying allegiance to Christ and promise that whatever, wherever Christ goes, Peter will go there too. Peter, who in the Garden of Gethsemane is going to pull out his sword and cut off a man's ear the night that Christ is taken. Peter, who while Christ is sitting on the judgment seat, is going to deny him three times. And leave scared, not wanting anybody to know who he is. They don't want to admit Christ's deity or their desire to follow him because they're afraid of those around them. Pride is the original sin. Isaiah 14. Isaiah 14 and verse number 12. The Bible says, How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How art thou cut down to the ground, which didst weaken the nations? For thou hast said in thine heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit also upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the Most High. Yet thou shalt be brought down to hell to the sides of the pit. They that see thee shall narrowly look upon thee and consider thee, saying, Is this the man that made the earth to tremble, that did shake kingdoms, that made the world as a wilderness and destroyed the cities thereof, that opened not the house of his prisoners? Satan's sin his pride. In Genesis 3, Satan takes his pride and begins to go after that which God has created. Genesis 3 and verse number 1. Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden? 
And the woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, Ye shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. The serpent said unto the woman, Ye shall not surely die. For God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. Satan in his pride wanted to harm the very thing that God had created. He wanted to harm Adam, who God had put in Satan's seat. Whom God had given dominion of the earth to. And then Eve in her pride, listening to Satan, looked at the tree and saw it was a tree to be desired. One to make one wise. And she took of the fruit thereof and did eat and gave also unto her husband with her and he did eat. In her pride she looked and saw that there was something that God was keeping from her. There was knowledge that she did not have. And she wanted it. There's no difference for us today. Pride keeps us from so many of God's blessings. Pride creates fear because it gives us something to lose. It isn't until we understand that we have nothing to lose, that we have nothing, first of all, and therefore have nothing to lose, that we can truly go and let God take control. Verse 44 starts out with a couple of very interesting words to me. Jesus cried. Now this isn't the Jesus wept of Lazarus' Lazarus's funeral. This isn't Jesus crying tears. This is Jesus crying out to those that are listening, begging, pleading that they would listen. This is a cry that's full of emotion for our Savior seeking to make a difference in someone's life. And his message is simple. Believe on me and you believe on my Father that sent me. Verse 44. He that believeth on me believeth not on me but on him that sent me. It's not me, it's my Father. Believe my Father, the God in heaven, the creator of the world. Believe Him. You've seen me, you've seen the Father. In another portion of Scripture, Christ says those exact words to the disciples. They say, I believe it's Thomas, says, Lord, show us the Father. And he says, have I been with you so long? Philip. He says, you've seen me, you've seen the Father. I and my Father are one. He continues with the authority of His words. I am come a light into the world that whosoever believeth on me should not abide in darkness. If any man hear my words and believe not, I judge him not. For I came not to judge the world, but to save the world. 
He that rejecteth me and receiveth not my words hath one that judgeth him. The word that I have spoken, the same shall judge him in the last day. For I have not spoken of myself, but the Father which sent me, he gave me a commandment, what I should say and what I should speak. And I know that his commandment is life everlasting. <laughs> Whatsoever I speak thereof, even as the Father said unto me, so I speak. The authority of the word of God, the authority of Christ's teaching on this earth, is it came from God himself. The authority is that that is the, that is the standard that we are going to be judged by at the end of our lives. standard that we are held to in our legal system today if we have committed a crime we are sent in front of a jury in front of a judge these are all just men who can and do often let their emotions their beliefs and their opinions affect their judgment the opinions their beliefs and the emotions are almost as important as the standard that is being used. I've had the pleasure of sitting through jury selection. One of the very first things that they do is they explain what beyond a reasonable doubt means. It means if you can't know in your heart, as a reasonable person, that this man is absolutely guilty... If you have any question in your mind, then the answer has to be not guilty. There's a standard. They then go on to, dis to define the crime that's been committed. They don't just tell you, yes, he went and shot somebody. Uh, I think one of the last, uh, not I didn't sit on a jury for this, but in dealing with uh, some of the people from Missouri and uh, a young man that we were dealing with who had been charged with uh, second degree murder. Um, there's a difference between first degree and second degree murder. First degree murder means that it was premeditated, it was planned. Second degree murder has a completely different meaning. Manslaughter has a completely different meaning. Manslaughter is accidentally causing the death of someone by doing something that was not legal. So, for example, if you're driving drunk down the road and you hit and kill somebody, you can be charged with manslaughter for that death. While you didn't purposely go out seeking to kill that person, you still caused their death by doing something that was illegal. They have to define those terms so that the jurors sitting in the jury box can know and decide... Did the state meet the burden of proving guilt beyond a reasonable doubt for that specific terminology? And it's very specific. But again, in every one of those jury boxes, behind every one of those benches, is a man or a woman that has their own opinions, has their own ideas, has their own thoughts that color the outcome. 
no matter how hard the judge and the lawyers try to weed out those that would be outliers or overzealous or, or, or to prove exactly what has to be done, those opinions are still taking an effect. At the final judgment, this won't be the case. We are going to be judged by the word of God. We're going to be judged by what's in this book. Every word that's in this book. When Rachel and I first went to, one of the first times we went to Missouri to work, on a project uh, we had a, a couple that wanted to have us over for dinner they were a couple of towns away so we drove over we had dinner with them we're driving back and it's dark and I came up to a stop sign I turned right to head back to Pleasant Hill and just went two-lane highway just like 210 out here like s27 like highway 65 in every other area, the speed limit would be 55 miles an hour. Matter of fact, about 150 yards from where the police officer pulled me over, the speed limit turned to 55 miles an hour. But I was going that fast before it was supposed to be that speed. And as he came up and he knocked on the window, he noticed, of course, my truck has out-of-state plates. It's dark. The windows on my truck are tinted. He can't... He can't see inside the truck, so he begins to ask questions. Missouri is a constitutional carry state. Many people there still have a rifle hanging in the back window. So I made sure when he walked up, I rolled down the window. I told him very quickly that, yes, I had a firearm in the car. I told him where it was. We were of a good understanding on how things were going to proceed. And uh, he said, do you know why I pulled you over? I said, no, I honestly don't. He said, you were going a little fast. I said, really, what's the speed limit right here? Because I honestly, I didn't know. I saw the stop sign. I'd only been on that road twice, once on the way there. So I have no idea what the speed limit sign is going the other way. And then when I pulled on from the stop sign and I completely missed the speed limit sign on the side of the road right there just after the stop sign. He said, the speed limit here is 35 miles per hour. I said, man, I would think this would be 55. He said, it is right up there at the top of that hill. Huh. So he asked some more questions. Thankfully, he just gave me a warning. He didn't give me a ticket. But he had every right to because my ignorance is no excuse for breaking that law. Our ignorance of God's word is no excuse. For not living up to his standard. The only thing that will matter. For all of eternity. Is the standard of the word of God. The words that Jesus spoke. And for those that don't believe. The only answer. is an eternity in hell. Christ reinforces this 
for us. Verse number 48. He that rejecteth me and receiveth not my words hath one that judgeth him. The word that I have spoken, the same shall judge him in the last day. Verse number 47, he says, I came not to judge the world, but to save the world. This is a repeat of John 3.17. We love John 3.16. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever should believeth on him, or whosoever believeth on him, should not perish, but have everlasting life. But we often forget about John 3.17. For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Christ's entire purpose on this earth was to seek and save the lost. His entire purpose was coming to save the world. This is why the Jews have missed him as the Messiah. They only understood that the Messiah's purpose was to come and to turn the kingdom back to God. Christ is The Savior. Verse number 50. He says, And I know that his commandment is life everlasting. Whatsoever I speak, therefore, even as the Father said unto me, so I speak. Christ is showing here his complete obedience to God. Remember, Christ knows exactly what's happening at the end of this week. He knows about the beating, the scourging, the crown of thorns being jammed to his head. He knows the soldiers are going to spit on him. They're going to grab handful of his beard, handfuls of his beard and rip it out, taking pieces of his face with it. He knows the pain and the sorrow that's to come. He knows that all the sins of the world are going to be placed on his body. And he's going to pay for them. We talked this morning again about Psalm 23. This is a perfect picture of that. Christ, no matter what, willing to follow God through whatever he deems necessary because he deems it necessary. This is the spirit of the sheep in Psalm 23 that follow the shepherd into the green pastures and lay down beside the still waters and follow him through the valley of the shadow of death and sit down at the table in the middle of their enemies. They know what the valley of the shadow of death looks like. 
They know that their enemies are there. And they follow anyway. Christ goes through all of this knowing that that is what his heavenly father deems necessary. If we don't have that assurance, if we don't have that satisfaction in our life of knowing exactly that we are in the right place, that we are following God and exactly where he wants us to be, our life is pretty miserable. In front of my Bible, I just have a note that says, Be sure that God has placed your footsteps on, footsteps on the path. Because when the times are tough and the hill is steep, only God knows where the firm foundation is. And only His will matters anyway. There are so many things in my life that I would not have gone through. Just in the time that I've got, been saved, there are so many things in my life that I could not have gone through without knowing that that's exactly what God's plan was for my life. Before I ever gotten saved, before I ever knew God, before I had that assurance, I tried over and over to end my life. I didn't have hope. All I saw was the valley of the shadow of death. All I saw was the enemies around me. Now looking back, I'm so thankful that God saved me in those times. That he cared enough to send his son to die on the cross for me. And that even today he is working to make sure that I know that he loves me. The word of God is the standard that we will be judged by. We need to know it. We need to walk in the light.